Welcome to the Fully Delighted Podcast, a hopeful and helpful resource from South Mountain Community Church, a multi-site church in Utah. Each week we will be hearing from our staff as we explore what makes SMCC unique, as well as what it means to be fully devoted and fully delighted in Jesus Christ. We hope this podcast can be a helpful resource for you to take your next step with Jesus. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Fully Delight Podcast. My name is Adam and I get the honor and privilege of serving as the Campus Support Team Director here at South Mount Community Church. And we're in another episode of the Fully Delighted Podcast. And with me as usual, on my left, I've got Pastor Eric here today. Eric, uh, good to have you here. Yeah, it is really good to be here. I'm really excited about today's podcast because we have our new pastor of teaching and discipleship, Trevor, here in the conversation. And um, this has been like a year coming. Trevor, when did you first connect with South Mountain? How long ago was that? Yeah, it, it was about a year ago. So. <laughs> <laughs> I gave away, gave away your thunder, sorry. Um, yeah, that, and, and so now here you are. So it's really fun to uh, have this conversation about a really challenging text. And uh, how was the move, man? What was it like getting out here? Yeah, no, it was, uh, it was good. Yeah, rented a U-Haul uh, car, towing on the back of it, straight across I-80. It was, uh, you know, not super exciting through... Yeah. Uh, yeah, through Nebraska, through Iowa, and then it gets very exciting uh, towards the end of Wyoming into Utah, so, yes. but made it here smooth and sound. Awesome. Well, uh, man, I, I love how theologically mind, minded you are. You're going to make our team better, make me better, and how we think about God's Word and theology. So really pumped to have you on the podcast today, and you'll be a regular uh, going forward. Yep. So uh, this is the first of many conversations like this. I'm real excited. It's kind of funny. It's a first and a last, because this is your last episode on this season, Eric. Right, right. I go, I have a trip next week, and uh, yeah, quick order of business. We're going to be wrapping up the study in First Corinthians next, next week. week with Paul and Trevor together, and uh, that'll actually be Paul's last podcast as our lead oh pastor. Oh my goodness, there's so many pieces so, here. big monumental moments in the life of our church, and uh, really exciting. We've been praying um, for this moment, for this season, for Trevor, for Paul, for the new people on our team, mm-hmm. um, that we would just see God's faithfulness through all this, and He's been faithful. And so it's just really cool to, to be in this season with yeah. you as the listener, with you as a person in our church, and also with this team, guys. Yeah, absolutely. Now, today's uh, chapter that we're going through, chapter 14, mm-hmm. is th- there's a lot of things we got to cover and make sure are clear and yeah. preface. <laughs> yeah, so guys, here's where we're headed. Let me just read something to you, and don't silence this podcast and move on because of what I read. In fact, because of what I read, y- you really do you need, to, need to lean in. So we're in chapter 14 today in our verse-by-verse study of 1 Corinthians, um, and we're in yeah chapter 14, verse 34, where the Apostle Paul says this, Women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. So this is a very challenging chapter. That's where we're headed. we got to make sense of that. Um, and of course, in our day and age, this sounds like a you got to be kidding me moment. This is why I don't read the Bible. You know, sure, it's just right. really challenging, triggers a lot of emotions and a lot of thoughts. And we're going we're gonna to walk our way through it because mm-hmm. there is something... A really good and really gracious happening that's mm. actually empowering women in this section. But when we read it through our 21st century eyes, we miss it. And so we got to do 45 minutes worth of work <laughs> to get to that gold, I think, with yep. this um, section. Trevor, how do you feel about d- diving into such a tough topic on your first podcast? <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. As You're up a, for it. Yeah, yeah. As I was telling Adam yesterday, I am delighted to be here. But 
Fully? Or he's been partially? Fully. I'm fully. He's been, he's been talking about this joke for the last day. So. You've been building up on this. I have. I'm waiting for it. You had three days in the car to think about your first podcast yeah, with us. That's right. Um, so let's do, let's do a couple things. Let's start big picture with our culture and why we feel so challenged with stuff like this. And then let's do some work contextually with the chapter itself. And then we'll dive in to see how the, all the parts fit together. Um, we should expect it to be hard. I mean, this is written into a first century context. It's God's word. It's challenging so much of what we know. So think of this chapter, um, and really when you study the Bible in general, as a puzzle with many, many pieces. And certain things like John 3.16, God so loves the world, feels like a puzzle with two pieces, and we can put them together, and we right. love it. Chapter 14, though, of 1 Corinthians, it's like a 500-piece puzzle. It's, it could take days and days. And by the way, there are many opinions on this chapter. You'll hear ours, um, mm-hmm. but we hope to present other cases too along the way. Um, but I just think that's that's really important. Now, this idea of a puzzle, um, this, that 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 image uh, was presented to me by a guy named Andrew Wilson. He has his commentary in 1 Corinthians in the For You uh, commentary series. I used oh, this cool. book to study for the series that we did at church, but I wanted to begin with uh, a little reading from what he says in his chapter on this, because I think it will frame up for us how we can humbly approach hard passages in the Bible. Sweet. He says this, there are various parts of the Bible and of Paul's letters about which people say, surely it can't mean that. Mm. So if you know you were to go to your grandma at a party or you were to show up at you know the pub and say, hey, you know that part in the Bible says women shouldn't speak? Yeah, I love that part. People would be like, you're crazy. And more than that, you know, you're you're racist or sexist or, you know, I guess it wouldn't be racist, yeah, <laughs> but you're sexist. Uh, and, uh, and so what do we do when we get to sections like that in the Bible? Uh, he goes on, Andrew Wilson goes on in his commentary. Usually that's because we don't like it. Very true. Yep. We read something that doesn't fit with our modern sensibilities, so we do a huge amount of exegetical work to try and make it look as if it means something else. So mm-hmm. a lot of people trying to explain away this passage. Sure. Scholars who are not Christians can be a huge help here because they don't claim to obey Scripture. They're sometimes better at admitting what it actually says. Ooh. I like this. because, wow. But occasionally, the surely it can't mean that reflex is based on the text itself. Something in the passage or the book as a whole makes it clear that the obvious interpretation is not actually correct. No Nowhere is this truer than of Paul's statement in verse 34. Women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. It sounds like an absolute ban on women speaking in the church service, but this cannot be what Paul means. He recently spent 15 verses on the question of what women should wear over their heads while praying or prophesying in the church. So what he's trying to get at is there's a way forward, and we should pay attention to the tension when we read the Bible. We, mm. we actually, we, we must. If we just read the Bible because we wanted to say what we want to say, then it's like, well, we just wrote our own Bible, and that's not helpful. Yeah. So with all of this in mind, we're going to dive into this this passage, trying to figure out how, how all the pieces um, fit, fit together. Love it. I think the best way to do that is to read the first verse, mm-hmm. verse 20 of the chapter, okay. and the last verse. Okay. Those will serve as our big guardrails to how we interpret all the details in between. So Adam, why don't you read yeah. those few things, yep. and we'll get after it. And for our listeners, we're reading out of the NIV. That's usually what we do on this on this podcast. So I'm going to read chapter 14, verse 1. Follow the way of love and eager, eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Now going to verse 20. Mm-hmm. Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. Okay. Last verse, verse 40. But everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. 
So in our series, Disorganized Religion, we made a big case that Paul is trying to organize a church that's never been organized before. <laughs> that's what he's trying to do. And so we see these big guardrails here, these mile markers for chapter 14. Whatever we read with the hard passages has to be read in light of love, in light of maturity, and in light of order. And so with those things in mind, I think we can, I think we can dive into it. Uh, Trevor, anything to add to the context here before we piece this all together? Yeah, yeah, I think with that, kind of like taking those passages, um, you know, verses kind of throughout, giving a framing to it, that whenever you come into a passage like this that's a little bit more uh, challenging, that's a little bit more of a complicated puzzle, it's helpful to work from what's clear into what's unclear. Mm. And so to start there, and yeah. uh, it's almost like framing the edge of the puzzle before yep. you... Oh, you that's move into great. The middle. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, it's like it's like a house. Like yeah. we've built houses before. Like you know, there's all these big chunks that go in first. There's concrete. There's framing. Yeah, and then there's details that come after those things are set up in and mm. put in place. That's a great way to read the Bible. Yeah, with the house, you you do the big things first. You frame mm-hmm. it up with a puzzle. You do the edges first. Yeah, my, right. Nora, lo- my daughter loves puzzles. I don't know where she got that from, but uh, <laughs> we like to sit down and work on puzzles together, and that's how we start. Edges. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we got the edges now. Let's read through it. Okay. Yeah. All right. I want to read then what is, you know, kind of the, the first section here just by the, the editing of the New International Version. So we'll, we'll do verses 1 again through uh, verse 5. So, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies, himse- edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the, ch- edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be edified." Woo! Wow. So uh, a couple of weeks ago, Paul and I talked on the podcast about our experience with with tongues. Um, there's usually two main sort of definitions here, and depending on which way you go with your definition of tongues will really kind of determine how you interpret this passage. Uh, so Trevor, I was asking you before we hit record, mm-hmm. uh, what was what's your experience with tongues like, sort of the charismatic stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, when I first came to faith, uh, 19 years old, the first church that I was a part of, great church, um, it was a part of the Assemblies of God tradition. And so with that, uh, kind of more charismatic, the emphasis on speaking in tongues with a, with a particular understanding of what that means mm-hmm. is, a, is a big part of the experience there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so early on, um, yeah, I, this is something that I, you know, looking at tongues for that more charismatic lens, that it's like a prayer language. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was an experience that I had had and uh, participated in. And then, um, you know, as I kind of continued to, uh, you know, move along as a follower of Jesus and... Um, I guess I came to a place where I came convinced that, um, or less less certain that that was the less certain that that was a. Uh, I guess I, I wanted to write my prayers more and to think more about what I was saying yeah. and to go that more out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think this section, you know, so we've talked about this before on the podcast. Um, you know, m- my opinion is that there is not a prayer language as such where you don't know what you're saying. It's not even a language that anybody could speak. It's really, I, I don't want to sound pejorative, but um, gibberish or mumbling or, or something like that. And I think there are a few passages where people would say, but Eric, what about this? Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them is chapter 12, if I speak in the tongues of angels, all right? And we made a good 
I, th- I think we made a good case in that podcast that Paul's using hyperbole there. He's not saying it, it exists and go learn that language. He's saying even if it were to exist hypothetically, it would not be more important than love. Sure. But this is the other section <laughs> where they would go, but, but Eric, it's, it sounds like, hey, that person talks to God and God has a language and no one knows it. So go after it. And if someone can interpret it, great. Um, but I still think there's other things going on here, both mm. in what the word tongue means. There's a little note in my Bible that says, or another language, right? If mm. I look down, it says, or in another language. Right. And so you, you just have to look at this through the lens of what is Paul saying in the first century, not through the lens of what have we heard in our century with charismatic movements. And I think a case can be made that if you were to read this section through the lens of tongues are a language known to someone else, but just unknown to the speaker. You can read through that. Well, how is that person still talking to God? Well, they're doing something that honors God. You know Mm. what I mean? God's involved in that conversation. Mm. And uh, just as I can pray on stage at SMCC to God, and everybody in the room is also uh, kind of knows what's happening in that moment, I'm also talking to God, but we're talking together to God. I think that's sort of what he's getting at. I don't think he's saying there's this God language that no one knows, and it's the, it's the language of angels. So I'm conv- I'm pretty convinced, like you, I'm mm-hmm. m- far more certain yeah. that tongues really in all of these sections is referring to a language unknown to the speaker, but known to the hearer. And I think we see that as this unfolds. And so I want to be able, as we read through the details, show you the details that support that that conclusion, mm. and one of those details comes right out of out of this section. Um, he actually gives the purpose of prophecy in tongues, and both of those things have to be um, understood. So, Adam, read that section again, and we'll define the who prophecy is for, and we'll talk about who tongues is for because I think that's really key in this section as we get yeah, started. Yeah, you want the whole section or a particular? Let's just part? go with verse two. Okay, so, so verse two yeah. says. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. Yeah. Um, sorry, keep reading a little further Yeah, there. yeah. But no one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, uh, encouraging, and comfort. I'm sorry, the one. I said that wrong. But uh, the I was one like, oh my gosh, I'm so wrong about this. <laughs> no, I just <laughs> you read, read it wrong. Okay. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Yeah, what we're going to see is this interesting thing that's exactly the opposite of what I used to think. Mm-hmm. When I first started going to church, I thought tongues were for the Christians, and that somehow, wow, if this is happening, the Christians should be really built up and excited. But the mm-hmm. Apostle Paul is going to go on to say it's actually for the unbeliever. Well, how is that possible? Well, the unbeliever is hearing the gospel in their in their language. Yeah. Of course, this becomes a sign gift then of authority to speak a message, and then of course it's it's a great message because you now hear the gospel in your language. That's really really mm. valuable. And then he goes on to say prophecy, which I used to think was for the unbeliever, because right. if you can predict the future and pull it off, shouldn't that be a sign of the unbeliever? But Paul goes on to say that's actually for the believer, and you're like, well, how is it for the mm. the believer if they're already convinced? oh, prophecy is not about predicting the future, sitting around and waiting for it to come true. It's far more connected to a um, a, a telling of God's truth in a way that, that convicts and moves mm-hmm. people um, closer to God. And so we see yeah. that unfold. It was the exact opposite of what I used to think. Yeah. And that should stand out to us. It's interesting to actually see me and um, Trevor were just talking a little bit about this, but to see then uh, specifically what... Uh, 
uh, Eugene Peterson gets to, uh, chooses to say uh, in the mm-hmm. message translation, just, just a piece of this. He says, but when you proclaim his truth in everyday speech, you're letting others in on the truth so that they can grow and be strong and experience his presence with you. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the way that he's chose. Okay, so prophecy, what does this mean? Uh, proclaim the, his truth, God's truth in everyday speech. I think that's 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 most simple way that you could define prophecy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, let's keep going through six, and we'll see all the pieces come together. Excellent. All right, so we're going to go through verses six uh, all the way through 12 now. Yeah. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or a word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the pipe or harp, How will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly. (laughs) I've felt that before. I've been in this class. I'm like, what are they doing? I mean, they're just speaking into the air. And I love the illustration of uh, the trumpet or the harp or an instrument. Like, these things make sounds, but you have to play the notes correctly for the sound to be received. Sure. And that's what he's getting at. So once again, back to our sort of our benchmarks for this passage, he's talking about order. Mm, Right. And, right, right. And maturity, because remember... The background here is that an immature approach, approach to pagan worship was to turn to ecstatic utterances and chanting, sort of the giving away of your mind, almost a hypnotic state. Sure. And he's he's bringing this all together with this. It needs to be intelligible. It needs to be orderly. And so he's trying to bring them back from treating the Christian worship experience as something that looks like a pagan experience mm. by turning into these mindless sort of approaches to worship. That makes so, sense. Mm-hmm. So verse 10, uh, undoubtedly there are all sorts of languages in the world. Yet- okay, when, when I say I think it's known lang- languages known to people, but yeah. under the speaker, that is really key. It seems contextually he's getting at known languages. Yeah, yeah, So yeah, like, yeah. like, let's just put that on the, the, on the scoreboard. That's the side of known language, okay? <laughs> yeah, some evidence that yes. you're looking at, yeah. yeah. Yeah, verse 10 says, undoubtedly there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. Implying prophecy. Prophecy is something that builds up the church. Which, once again, if your only definition of prophecy is to predict, you know, something about... Eastern European countries and attacking people, you're going to sit around for 2,000 years and wait, you have an erroneous view of prophecy, right? How does prophecy build up the church if we're supposed to sit around and wait for the future to come true? It has to mean, it can mean that, sure, but all words have a range of meaning. And in this context, Paul is an immediate, there's an immediate building up of the church when someone prophesies. How is that possible? Well, someone's preaching the gospel to the culture, I think. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, even the Old Testament prophets, like that's that's how they were working. There's aspects of it that were kind of foretelling what was to come in the future, but primarily what they were doing uh, is speaking to their particular culture, yeah. like through mm. the lens of Deuteronomy 28. That's right. Um, saying, like, you're not living according to the covenant. You're a wicked sure. king, turn from your ways. <laughs> uh-huh. So yeah, prophecy, yeah. you know, and so when we say, this is interesting, guys, I've never thought about this. Are we, 
prophesying at SMCC when we get on stage and say that was just you've my thought, turned Eric. politics into an, into idolatry <laughs> and you you need to turn from the false god and turn back to Jesus? Is that prophecy? I was just thinking to my, I literally was going to ask the question like where does where's the line of teaching and prophecy like where's the distinction? <laughs> there uh, is a I, distinction. Yeah, it yeah. does seem to be that there is a distinction in Paul's in Paul's section here. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. What's Trevor? What's well, your e- take on that? Even in your example there, you went to idolatry. Yeah, right? that there's cultural critique involved with yes. it, as opposed mm. to just purely teaching like almost yeah. like a bible project video yeah like, this is the structure this is how it all ties together yeah mm. so maybe that's maybe that's more so the lens of distinction i, I, but. I totally think you're right yeah. i think you're right i think teaching involves explanation mm-hmm. prophecy in this context probably means a declaration and challenge you know mm. now if you get on stage and say you're a prophet because the word is so misused especially in utah especially here i yeah. would never say that and in some ways it sounds kind of arrogant too like sure. Who gets to say that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and the guy who thinks he can say it about himself probably is not the guy that is that. You know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? Sure. I think it's it's um, yeah, man. I, I I hear worship songs like "Come on, prophesy now," and I'm like, "What are you doing? Mm, like, what is that?" You know. So I want to be very careful to use that word because it does seem. Back to your point, Trevor, you made early. We want to we want to move from what's clear and then and then into what's a, a bit unclear and then hold those things that are unclear loosely mm-hmm. and that's why you know I'm not going to use the word prophecy or prophetic right. or prophet about me or my leadership or the SMCC approach yeah. but I think there are times where a message at SMCC feels more like a challenge and critique to culture and in that sense sure. I think it's closer to what Paul means by prophecy than sitting around and predicting you know, the next recession or something like well, that. Well, and it's interesting too, just how much, I say this, just how much work um, should be done, especially in a culture like this, over intentionality. Um, I was just at Connect Now at our South Jordan location, and somebody who was there who admittedly said, you know, I have one foot in uh, the predominant religion here and one foot into, you know, biblical Christianity and just trying to figure a lot of things out. And she said, you know, I just have a, I have a simple question she was asking about, um, I had preached at South Jordan that day. And she's like, is that a, is that a lesson? Would, would you call that a lesson a, 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 or a sermon? Like, and from her context, there's a lesson, mm-hmm. right? You know, there's very distinct words around what's happening. And even in that predominant religion, mm-hmm. there's prophecy, right? Yeah. So, you know, we're talking internally here, but then also there's intentionality and externally how we would call those things. Mm-hmm. And man, I don't know if I spent enough time with the passage to, to walk it through, but, but c- certainly in, Adam, to your point, um, a prophet or a prophecy is thus saith the Lord, right? Ooh, like yeah, this is from yeah. God. And, uh, you know, w- when I teach God's word, I'm not saying what Eric says is saith the Lord. Sure. You know, what the Bible says is saith the Lord, not what Eric says. Yeah. And I'm trying to connect people to what God has said. I'm not trying yeah. to say anything for him. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because he's already said it. He's already revealed himself, and I'm trying to draw people into that revelation. Um and and so it's it's really a bit dangerous, but it does seem at times that Paul in this section, as he talks about order, has this understanding that prophecy is more the saith the Lord than just teaching sure, and sure. knowledge. And mm-hmm. uh, we're going to see that as this passage continues. So yeah. this is a tricky section for sure. It is. Let's keep going. We, you know, this is kind of a big passage, so we want to make sure that we kind of <laughs> get to down. it. Yeah, we're slowing down a bit too much. I'll keep the pace here. Uh, so verses 13 through 17, we'll, we'll touch on this now. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So, yeah, let's just get at that. Yeah. So once again, if you don't know the language, your mind is struggling to understand. Your mind doesn't know the message. Yeah, it's interesting. So 
it, this section certainly sounds like one on the scoreboard of prayer language. <laughs> All right, I understand that. I understand sure. that, but I think there's a way to look at it and see it differently. Sure. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you are praising God in the spirit, how can someone else, who is now put in the position of an inquirer, say amen to your thanksgiving? Since they do not know what you are saying, you are giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. Wow, interesting. Yeah, so this whole con- context, we could give another you know, sort of uh, guardrail or benchmark. As many people as possible need sure. to be edified. And that's built into SMCC's approach. As many people as possible need to be edified by what's happening. And, and once again, when he's talking about spirit and mind, I don't think he's saying there's a prayer language out there that's so spiritual and spirit-led, your mind will never know what it is and go for it. I think he's simply saying, let's align the two. Let's align our, you know, what's going on inside of us with our minds at the same time. Mm. And Trevor, that was to your point. You wanted to write down your prayers so that they were intellectual and intelligible to you and others. And I think that's exactly what Paul is describing. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So let's go ahead and kind of section this up again. Eric, what do you think about 18, you know, through 21 here and, and give it a pause there? You want me to go all the way through that, that ending section? Let's just go through 21 because okay. there's this quote from Isaiah and... Trevor is already talking about how interesting it is, and I think we should stop there. So, yeah. yeah. Well, let's do what Trevor wants. <laughs> it is his second day on the job. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about getting thrown to the wolves, man. I know. All right. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants. But in your thinking, be adults. In the law, it is written. With other tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. But even then, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Trevor, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, well, uh, some tangled weeds around this. Uh, if you go back to the passage in, <clears throat> if you go back to the passage in Isaiah, what's happening there is uh, Isaiah is kind of prophesying like some destruction kind of for for mm. for Israel, and um, <clears throat> what he's saying to them is, you didn't listen when um, you didn't listen when I was speaking to you in language that you understand. And uh, so now you're going you're gonna to basically kind of receive the message of judgment through, mm-hmm. <clears throat> through the Assyrians. Yeah. As they, oh, okay. <clears throat> as they come speaking in a language that you don't understand, yeah. uh, bringing the fulfillment of that judgment. Back to the scoreboard. It's another one in the mark of a, <laughs> of a, a, a language known to some, but not known to everyone. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep, yep, yep. And, and that's ex- you're exactly right. Paul understands that you're going to hear God's truth, um, and you might understand it, but the foreigners get it, and it'll be in their language. And I think Paul's still working through all this, and, and it's, it is in the weeds. I mean, he is going deep into the weeds, so we got to do that too to get after it and understand mm. it. But um, I think he's, once again, talking about foreigners, foreign language, so that God's message can be heard. So. Yeah. Let's All right. Going. Let's let's wrap up this little section. So 22 through 25 is what we're going to read now. Tongues then are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers. This is the point I was making 20 minutes ago. Trying to this is this is so clear. We you just I, I would ask the charismatics listening or the charismatic mm-hmm. pastors out there are your are is your expression of signs and the way you do it drawing unbelievers into the gospel. Mm-hmm. And some might say yes. I have never seen it. Sure, sure. In fact, it can do the opposite, which is what Paul's going to talk about. It could repel people, yeah. yeah. So I love 22. I think this is super clear, so I'm just going to start from the beginning of 22 again. Tongues then are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers, 
Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So the whole church comes together, and everyone speaks in tongues, and inquirers or unbelievers come in. Will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and brought under ju- or brought under judgment by all. Yeah, we take this so seriously at SMCC. Number sure. one, unbelievers should be coming in. <clears throat> Invest and invite. Okay, we do that at SMCC. And number two, he's saying prophecy will will be a way to mm-hmm. um, convict people of sin. Yes. Um, yep. And uh, that's what we want to do. Yeah, and mm-hmm. let me just put a pause on this. Paul Roby really made me think about this more. Um, he goes to this section when people will say, well, the church is, you know, it's for believers. And these churches that are trying to have, they're trying to be guest aware or whatever kind of label you want to put on aren't really biblical. Why would the Apostle Paul even be asking this question of what if an inquirer or unbeliever comes in? If that wasn't happening, right? If, the, if that wasn't happening with the church, he's saying, hey, you know, this happens. And so, you know, what if an inquirer unbeliever comes in, like, you know, you know kind of eliciting that? Uh, and so I, I do like that idea. And then just like you said, Eric, obviously prophecy has got this, uh, it is for the believer, but also if the unbeliever comes in, it helps in conviction of sin because there's truth being applied to culture, everyday language. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, this section too is is tricky because he then says if an unbeliever comes in and hears people prophesying, although he just said prophecy is for the believer, he then talks about, oh, they're brought under judgment by all. Is that the goal or is it too much for them? I, you could almost read this and say mm. they're not ready for that. But mm. then he goes on to say they'll fall down and worship God, exclaiming God's really among you. Mm-hmm. So it seems like the unbeliever can see tongues as a sign, and that's beneficial, and the unbeliever can embrace clear truth through prophecy, prophecy. using that language. Mm-hmm and also take their next step towards God. It seems like both are kind of at play, and I think mm-hmm. he does this little switch here that it, it is still kind of confusing to me. Mm-hmm. But um, I think he's still talking about something good that happens when the unbeliever walks in the room and hears something in their, in their language. Yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. whether, that's, whether that's a language the rest of the room doesn't know or a language that everybody knows, mm. they're going to hear something in a language that connects to them, so plain language to mm-hmm. them, and it'll help them experience who God is. Let me add this too, and I'm I'm not even admittedly the smartest guy in this room here right now. But uh, prophecy is, you know, this idea we talked about and defined it. It's everyday language. It's truth applied to culture, and so it's almost is like, it, and I'm using air quotes here, a language of taking God's eternal truth and applying it in a way that somebody here in 2022 in Western society will understand. Absolutely. I think that that's a cool little yeah. Yeah, comparison there. It, it seems like, to get real clear on this section, because it does seem a little confusing, he's saying the miracle of tongues can be assigned to the unbeliever, mm. but regularly what you can expect is for the unbeliever to connect with a clear message in their language. I think that's prophecy. what he's saying. Yeah, <laughs> prophecy. I think that's what he's saying here. Yeah. And um, I'm open to both. The mm-hmm. tongues can still exist. Mm-hmm. And be a sign, a miraculous sign to an unbeliever. Right. Oh my gosh, you don't speak my language, but I'm hearing the gospel in your language. God is doing this. But what we can expect more often and regularly is that an unbeliever shows up, isn't weirded out because mm-hmm. not every because people aren't all speaking in their tongues, um, and hear a message from somebody that causes them to go, God's really among you. So yeah. I think I think there's two strategies here to having an unbeliever come to know God. Sure, absolutely. And Eric, you kind of uh, keep alluding to the verse 25, which we didn't read, but yeah, uh, speaking, I'm just going to read 24 and 25 and then just jump into yeah. the next section. So 24, but if an unbeliever or inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin 
and are brought under judgment by all, as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. 26. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction or a revelation or a tongue or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Yeah, okay. So speak to himself and speak to God. Okay, in what language? (laughs) In their head, are they praying in their prayer language, or in their head are they praying in the language they know? I think it's the language they know. But I want to draw your attention here to something, and I don't know why the NIV doesn't do this, because I think it would really help. He says the speaker should keep quiet. That's the Greek word signato. It's silent. Okay. The women section that we're building towards says women should be silent. Okay. Let's be clear. Paul is instructing somebody else to be silent. Other people. People who can speak out if done in a correct way. Order. Order. But if not, they should stay silent. Mm. So for order to exist in any company, in any corporation, in any church, deferment is necessary. Mm. That I'm going to set aside my preferences and defer to what's best for the whole, the building Mm. up of the church. Mm -hmm. And so I want to draw your attention here because that, when you know signato is used multiple times in this section for silence, it, it, it doesn't feel like such a slap in the face out of left field when it's mm. def- referred to women. He's actually speaking to something bigger than that. It's the orderly approach to worship as a whole. Yeah. So I wanted, to, I wanted to slow down and make note of that. It's very, very important in my understanding of this passage. Absolutely. That's, that's great thought yep. there. Anything from you, Trevor, on this? Any thoughts? <clears throat> I, think, I think it's just kind of interesting that within this context, you also see that... Um, you know, the <clears throat> it's in reference to speaking in front of the entire congregation. Mm. So, um, yeah, like gaining the attention of everyone in mm. order to say something that doesn't make sense to anyone <laughs> is disorderly. Ooh, yeah, not very orderly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's saying you got a tongue, you got revelation, you got a song. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just imagine anybody got a song. I mean, churches do this. I mean, churches actually. do do this. Who yes. has a song for today? Oh, great, go ahead and sing. You know, <laughs> who's got so? Okay, go go right ahead. Yeah. And it just, you know, Paul's trying to actually correct that approach. I know this exists, actually. I mean, I know this exists because uh, I'll tell you this. This was years ago when I was working at our South Jordan location. I was the next steps guy there. And somebody came in. He's like, oh, oh I wanted to talk to one of the pastors. I'm like, oh, yeah, what's up? And, you know, and he's like, um, I, I've got a word. I've got a, I've got a story. I've got, I just want to, I need to tell people what's happened in my life. Um, when can I go up on stage? Whoa, 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 whoa. Um, That's not very orderly. Yeah. Um, And I'm not even sure what you're going to say. Is it going to be beneficial? Yeah. Is it going to build up the church? Right. I can't just let you go up on stage. The Apostle Paul had to write this section because he wants to help churches everywhere forever guard against that exact situation. I think that's why he wrote this. (laughs) Yep. And uh, yeah, um, I was going to say something else, but I I forgot what I was going to (laughs) say. But yeah, order's at the heart of this. Let's keep going, Adam. So I'm going to do 29 through 33 now. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn, so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. Yeah, so all the congregations, he's sort of saying, hey, this is how we do it at our multi-site church. <laughs> Across all the locations, we want it to happen like this. It's, there, there needs to be order there. And I do think, once again, we need to read prophesy and prophet as a level 
of standing or influence in the church above just teachers and others in the church. I just think mm. you see that here mm. because he's like, if you're prophesying, let the prophets take control of that. Let the prophets interpret it. Like, let the leaders, the, mm. the most authoritative leaders in the room, they're the ones responsible for the communication. So this might be a stretch, but I think it'll, it'll help make the point. When that guy comes to you and says, I have something to say in South Jordan, you say, that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. You're doing this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're the one who's in control of the environment, yeah. and someone needs to be in control of the environment. And so at SMCC, if there were somebody dancing in the aisle, speaking in tongues out loud, drawing attention to themselves, the one who's in charge of the environment, we call them pastors, not prophets, I think mm-hmm. largely because of the misunderstandings around prophets. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. The person in control of the environment in charge will step in and say, please, you're drawing attention to yourself. You need to stop doing that. Mm. And um, I think he's describing that in the first century way with some language that's a bit different than we would use, but it's sort of the same experience. Someone mm. needs to be responsible for the order. Mm-hmm. So Yeah. So let's do 34 and 35. Let's just take some bite-sized pieces here. Women should remain silent in the church. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Guys, just like, I'm like just too excited. So the other use um, of signato, um, mm-hmm. see where it says the first speaker should stop? Yes. It's actually be silent. Okay. Yep. So, okay, now I'm going to be silent because we got something else going on. So yeah. once again, we see deferment. And I don't know why the NIV doesn't say be silent, be silent, be silent in all three, because I think it would help maybe level the playing field a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And, and the people that you know have translated this, they're a lot smarter than me. So I'm sure if they were here, they would say, here's why we did it. Yeah. But I just think it's helpful to know that silent is again used for somebody else based on order, not gender at all. Yeah, yeah. So I think what we're going to get to is that women were engaging in the church service in a way that was violating the order. <clears throat> yeah. And that's why silent needs to be used again. It's, yeah. It's how the whole argument is structured. And just for our listeners, Eric is referencing verse 30. Uh, which is talking about the first speaker should stop, as it's said in the NIV. And now we're going to read verse 34 and 35. Women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. <laughs> Here we let's go. just finish up this section, and we'll, we'll take it all at once. Oh, all you right. want to read yeah. the whole thing? Yeah, okay. let's just go to the end. Let's do it. Uh, Verse 36, or did the word of God originate with you, or are you the only people it has reached? If anyone thinks that they are a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. But if anyone ignores this, they will themselves be ignored. I love this part. Usually those who claim to be prophets today ignore God's word. They add to God's word. This is the exact opposite. Anyone who's a prophet must embrace what Paul is saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God's word. Yep. By extension. And then wrapping up the section 39 and 40. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. We don't. (laughs) (laughs) But everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Okay. Where to begin with this section? Um, I think there's at least nine possibilities with how to interpret this. Oh, just nine? Should we go through all... I don't think we have time to go through all of them. You got t- we, got, we got 10 minutes left. You think yeah. I got 10 minutes? I mean, if you can do it briefly, can you do it briefly? Mm, <laughs> I can't do anything briefly. Um, I don't know where to start. Okay, first of all... Okay, here's one, here's one thing. Um, Paul changed his mind. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul says, when women pray and prophesy in church, they should do it like this, implying they can't speak in church. Mm-hmm. And then here he says they can't. Some say, oh, he just, he just got it wrong. He just changed his mind. 
He was getting old. He's getting <laughs> senior moment. Yeah. Okay. I don't think that's accurate. <laughs> um, another approach is later scribes added this. Okay. Mm. Uh, I think there's real challenge there. If we just did that with everything that was hard, that would not be a good way to read our yeah, Bibles. Yeah, we would just be able to ah, someone just it. added this later. Yeah. What's interesting is our most ancient manuscripts, the oldest manuscripts that we have, um, have this section in two different places in the chapter. Okay. Some include 34 and 35 at the end of the chapter. Some include it here, which um, is interesting. You know, are certain scribes restructuring it to get Paul's flow? Ah. Uh. To flow. <laughs> I mean, are they doing it to get it as smooth as possible? I think there's a chance that that could have happened. But here's what we know. No ancient manuscripts omit this section. It's in all the ancient manuscripts. Mm. So we got we to gotta deal with it. And um, I mean, there's some who straight up say, uh, yeah, women shouldn't talk in church. Okay, that's, that's one approach. Um, is the text saying that? Uh, we'd have to wrestle with it. Um, let's see. Uh, I'm trying to think through all the other... Uh, things. Oh, some suggest that 11.5, the prophecy I'm praying that women are doing, is describing an informal setting um, where this is a, this is communicating a corporate gathering. So, oh, they're allowed to speak in small groups, but they're not allowed to speak in the corporate gathering. Gotcha. I don't think that's what it's saying. In fact, on Mother's Day, we have amazing female leaders speaking at our locations, some of our locations, and I'm just really excited about that. Mm-hmm. I don't think that distinction is warranted, although um, it could be convenient to go that way if you wanted to Set up your points. Um, so anyways, I think there are a few things that I want to get at without walking through all the other options. Um, and first, we have to understand what it was like to be a woman in the first century. Mm. Um, they were very much stuck at home, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, they were not allowed uh, the privilege of um, education or academic settings. That was reserved mm-hmm. for for males, unfortunately. Um uh, Paul refers back to the Old Testament law here, as the law says, which is interesting. So he's kind of building on some Jewish culture there and, yeah. how, to, and how to go about it. Um, and so I think Paul's not changing his mind. Women are allowed to speak. So what's this silent thing? What's this silent thing all about? Um, I think the women, th- there's, there's this level of Paul empowering women. Go and ask your husband. That husbands didn't take on the responsibility of educating their wives in the first century. I mean, mm-hmm. it was like, you stay home, you stay out of the way. Yeah. This idea of saying, go ask your husband and let, let him lead you and, and, and teach you was a gift to women. It mm-hmm. was husbands, you're to serve your wife in this way. Uh. Help them understand God's truth. So number one, go ask your husband was not meant to be disrespectful. Sure. It was empowering. So I think we got to keep that in mind once we know something about the first century <laughs> world. I think the silence thing, knowing that the word signato is used in multiple places for different types of people, is completely about an order thing, mm-hmm. which does let us know that no. I think the women were probably getting a bit out of hand in in the setting. Some people say <laughs> that men and women in public gatherings would sit on separate sides of the room, and so you'd have a woman on one side of the room shouting out to her, to somebody else on the other side of the room, hey, hey, babe, what's he saying? You know, <laughs> And you can just imagine how disorderly that that would be. Yeah. And so uh, I think that's important um, uh, to think through. Um, I, I think um, he's trying to help them uh, be in control of themselves in the public gathering, mm-hmm. just as the prophets needed to be in control of th- some things, the tongue speakers, the singers with the hymns, and the women, everybody's involved in creating the order, taking their turn, mm-hmm. and, and building up the church. And I think there's some cultural things at play. I do want to say this, though. 
This, in light of other things in the New Testament about uh, the structure God created in humanity when Adam was created first and Eve second, is at play. And so at the Mm -hmm. very minimum, when it comes to giving your stamp of approval on a prophetic message, it is the senior leader of the church's responsibility to do that. And I think in this section, once again, we see support for a, a, a soft complementarian approach, which is sure. a senior leader is a man. And I think we see that in the New Testament. And I think to try and read this without that in mind makes this, you have to do some hermeneutical gymnastics mm. to get there. And sure. I think that's really, really dangerous too. Yum. So, um, so if we keep all that in mind and we go back to the passage, women should remain silent in the churches. It's not complete no speaking. Mm-hmm. It's it's to defer to the order, and at times that means not talking out loud. And everybody needs to do that in church. If I was speaking on a yeah. Sunday and someone just got up and said, "Hey, hold hold on, I got something I want to say." Yeah, I don't care who you are. I'm going to say, "Now's the time to probably be silent." Now's the time to probably be quiet. Yeah yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And so it seems like Paul directs it harshly at women, mm-hmm. but the word signata lets us know that he's not doing that. It's for everybody in the in the local church gathering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission. Okay, what does that do? Well, I think that is back to the order, as the law says, mm-hmm. that God built into humanity when Adam was created first. And if they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands. That was empowering. <clears throat> it's disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. I think what, she's getting, what, what Paul is getting at mm-hmm. is if it's the woman who's going to in, you know, stand up and present herself as the senior leader in the environment. She would actually bring disgrace upon herself. Mm. You know, you guys, what is it? What is it is disgraceful for her to do this? Mean she would be doing something so culturally inappropriate that it would be um, disgraceful for her to act in that way. Sure. I think that's what he's describing here. So as we put it all together, once again, I could be wrong. I'm open to being wrong on all that mm-hmm. I've said today in the podcast, sure. but I don't think I'm wrong when it comes to the the big mile markers. Maturity, mm-hmm. order, love, build up the whole church. Yeah. Those are our key takeaways. We can disagree yeah. on tongues. We can disagree on soft complementarian, egalitarian. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think there's room for conversation there, but we cannot disagree on the role of um, the individual in building up the church with love, maturity, and edification, and submitting their own preferences to silence their own desires at times so that the church can be built up. I think yeah. that's those are the, the major things here. Yeah. Trevor, yeah. you're a smart guy. What am I missing? No, no, that's good stuff. Um, I think a question that comes to mind for me is at the very beginning of verse 34, women. Um, you know, the Greek word there can be translated wives or women. And mm. so it makes me curious, um, like, why they chose women if it more so especially with the reference to husbands later on. Yeah. Mm. Um, you make a great point. You yeah. make a great point. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Um, again, I will, I will refer to this as the Eugene Peterson commentary. Let's just say that. So he actually says it, and I think this is helpful. Um, so he does have it in verse 34, his wives. And this is just what he says. And I think this is just good common language. So imagine the Apostle Paul is saying this. Wives must not disrupt worship, talking when they should be listening, asking questions that could be more appropriately uh, be asked of their husbands at home. Mm-hmm. So there's just some disorder. Yeah. There's disorder going on. Yep. And, and Can you read a little bit longer? Does he get at the, um, who's the one who should be the authority over interpreting the prophecy? Does he, does he get at that? Maybe it's in a different section. You know, um, in this exact part, um, yeah, he doesn't get into that. Okay. And sometimes that's 
just you know Got part it. of this this commentary. Most commentaries uh, and Andrew Wilson back in his book that I started with. Most commentaries um, have the two thoughts. It's mm-hmm. not complete silence, mm-hmm. but they were probably getting out of hand. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, it seems like the um, this, the highest senior leadership position of authority in the church uh, should be reserved for for a man. I think that mm. most commentaries are somewhere with a foot on each of those main points, somehow in some way, yeah. structurally in this argument. And um, I think that's probably the, the safest way to translate this. Yeah, and he does, Eugene Peterson does go just a little bit more again in his section of 34 through 36. He also has this section, wives have no license to use the time of worship for unwarranted speaking. Again, I think just lending aid to to some disorder going on and, and just, I mean, unwarranted speaking, I think is a, a good way of putting it as well. Yeah. Let, let me just, I started with the commentary from Wilson, so I want to go back to it. Yep. The two most plausible explanations are these for this hard section. One, Paul is prohibiting women from the weighing of prophecy. He references verses 29 through 30, because it involves a governmental responsibility that Paul limits to the fathers of the church, the elders, the overseers, or whatever we call them. So I'm trying to say, yeah, I think Wilson's correct in, in mm. having that in here. Two, some women at the Cor- some women at Corinth were in the habit of interpreting their husbands while they were prophesying, asking questions and bringing shame on themselves in the process. And Paul will not allow this because it's not submissive or honorable and it leads to disorder rather than peace. In either scenario, the requirement of wives to be submissive, as the law says, is probably a reference to Genesis where the creation story or the patriarchal stories exist. Personally, I take the second view of the interpretation of 1 Corinthians 14.34, which fits well with the next sentence. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home for it's discretion graceful for a woman to speak in church, but it's difficult to be sure. Yeah. And I just want to wrap up today's podcast by saying it's difficult to be sure. Um, uh, I think there's wisdom in holding the secondary issues with an open hand, but there's a whole lot of maturity in saying love builds up the church and as many people as possible. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. why I love what we do at SMCC. Excellent. Yeah, we got mm-hmm. to cover this all, but we are out of time. Uh, Trevor, thanks for being on here on your maiden voyage yeah, on the absolutely. podcast. Mm-hmm. Eric, we'll see you next season. Take care. Yeah. And uh, yeah, just again, reminder to leave a review. Uh, check out our other podcasts that we have at smccutah.org slash podcast. And uh, me and Trevor, we'll see you next week. Take care. Thanks again for joining us for the Fully Delighted Podcast. If you enjoyed this hopeful and helpful resource, we'd love to have you leave us a review or share an episode with a friend. For more information about SMCC, please visit us at our website at smccutah.org. Thank you for trusting us with your time, and we look forward to having you back again soon.